In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. I bring you greetings from St. Louis, the home of the Lutheran Hour, which I serve as speaker. If you're not familiar with the Lutheran Hour, it has been broadcast on radio stations in the United States and throughout the world every week, unbroken, for 90 years, making it the longest-running, Christ-centered broadcast in the world. But it's not just a radio program, although it is that, and I'm grateful for the work that I know your congregation does to keep us on the airwaves here in Paducah. But it's more than a radio program. It's also a podcast. You can listen to it on your devices. But it's more than that. The Lutheran Hour is a small part of a global gospel outreach of Lutheran Hour Ministries. We do in-person, in-print, satellite TV, internet and radio ministry in 50 different countries around the globe, reaching 150 million people every week with the good news, the hope, and the love of Jesus Christ, our shepherd. And we do this because we want every person on the planet to have the opportunity to hear of the love of Jesus Christ, their Lord. And we want every Christ follower, every Christian, to share the good news and the hope and the love of Jesus in their home, in their calling, in their community. And I want to talk to you about that part of our vision this morning, about how Jesus, our shepherd, equips each of us to share his good news in our lives. But first, the story. The whole family was gathered around the dinner table that evening. There was mom and dad, little Billy, and the pastor from the local church. Now, mom and dad had spent the whole afternoon getting ready for their special guest, they cleared the table and straightened up the living room, and they told little Billy, you better be on your best behavior, mister. Pastor's coming for dinner. So it was just before they were about to eat, and mom says, let's have a prayer. Billy, would you say the prayer for us? Billy says, <laughs> and mom says, oh, Billy, don't be shy, Pastor. Don't let him fool you. Billy is an excellent prayer. He says his prayers every night before bedtime. Billy, go on. Say the prayer for us. Billy says, Aw, Mom, I don't know what to say. Mom says, Don't worry about what to say for the prayer. Billy, just, just say what your father said last night. <laughs> so Billy folds his hands, bows his head, and says, Oh, God, why do we have to have that preacher over for dinner? <laughs> Amen. Now, why would someone be uncomfortable having a pastor over to their house for dinner? Maybe in this situation, hypothetically speaking, this pastor's a jerk. Now, I know that's hard for you to imagine, considering the under-shepherd that you have, but just take it. Take my word for it, not all of us are so well-behaved. But maybe it has nothing to do with the pastor. Maybe just this particular household is uncomfortable with having people over to their house for dinner, and it's got nothing to do with the pastor. Or maybe somebody in the household has had a bad experience with the church in their past. 
And just the presence of a pastor, of a church worker, makes them uncomfortable. Or maybe it's none of those. Maybe it's God that makes them uncomfortable. They know that the pastor is supposed to represent God and Jesus to them. And that's what makes them uncomfortable. God does. Now, why would someone be uncomfortable in the presence of God? A common experience that many people have that makes them uncomfortable in God's presence is the fear of being judged. Now, this is a reasonable fear. You, you read the Bible, you listen to the Bible, and God and Jesus do quite a bit of judging. Yes, Jesus is our shepherd, but you heard in the Old Testament reading at the very end, maybe it struck some of you, what does the shepherd say he's going to do? The fat and the strong sheep I will destroy. Now, what's he got against fat and strong sheep? If you keep reading in Ezekiel chapter 34, he tells you that those sheep are bullies. They're, they're bumping into the other sheep. They're trampling the food. They're muddying the waters with their feet. They're running off the, wick and the, 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 the weak and the sick sheep. And so part of the job of the shepherd is to judge. To judge between sheep and sheep, as he says in Ezekiel 34. And so it's not unreasonable that someone might be uncomfortable in the presence of God. Maybe they're afraid of being judged. Now, I get to do a, a lot of traveling with Lutheran Hour Ministries, travel all around the country, and a lot of the people that I speak with are pastors and church workers, active, engaged church volunteers. Like this last weekend, Saturday and Friday, I was here at your church over in your fellowship hall, and we had a conference with the Lutheran Layman's League. And the people who attend these conferences, they are sold out for the mission of Jesus. And very often, I find that those people are drawn to Lutheran Hour Ministries resources on uh, households. We have, we have a set of resources called Households of Faith. And, and what I think draws these pastors, church workers, and engaged volunteers to these resources on Households of Faith is that people intuitively recognize that the health of their congregation is only as healthy as the households that comprise the congregation. And, and these people, they want to see every Christian, every follower of Jesus, sharing the good news in their words and in their deeds. And they know that the, the influence of the Christian home is beyond anything that we could do one hour a week on a Sunday. And that that, that is where the kind of person is formed who can share Jesus authentically, wisely, winsomely in their, in their job or school or neighborhood. And so they are drawn to these households of faith curriculum and resources because they know the power that comes when we invite Jesus into our homes. But then there's this problem. <laughs> A lot of people are uncomfortable about inviting Jesus into their home life. Or maybe it's because they're afraid of being judged. I want you to picture a scene with me. It's judgment day. 
and, and the judge is seated on the, the judgment seat, and three figures are brought before him. A golden retriever, a Doberman pincher, and a cat. And the Lord says to the golden retriever, Retriever, what do you believe? Golden Retriever says, I believe in loving and serving my family. And the Lord says, Very well, Retriever, you come and sit at my right hand. And then he says, Doberman, what do you believe? Doberman says, I believe in faithfully serving my master, sir. The Lord says, Very well, Doberman, come and sit at my left hand. And then he says, Cat, what do you believe? The cat says, I believe you're in my seat. (laughs) See, we don't like to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. And we're actually worse than sheep. In this case, we're more like cats. No offense to those of you who love cats, but you know how cats are. We would rather be judging than being judged. Nobody likes to be judged. But here's the problem. Judgment is inescapable. It's an inescapable fact of human life. You're going to be judged. Even if you don't invite Jesus into your home life, Even if you have nothing to do with Jesus your whole life, you're still going to be judged. And I don't just mean on the last day when Jesus comes to judge. You're going to be judged every day by other people. Every time you have an interaction with another human being, every time you engage in conversation with another human being, you expose yourself to their judgments. And it's not fun. Nobody likes to be judged. And I think this is why a lot of us these days are retreating from real conversations with real people face-to-face, because we don't like being judged. You, you listen to social scientists and secular psychologists, and they bemoan the fact how people are avoiding conversations, choosing instead to communicate with people through devices. You know why we communicate through devices, why we prefer this? is because it offers the illusion of control over other people's judgments. It's like like a remote control with a television. You don't like what's on that channel, what do you do? You choose another one. And so when we communicate through our devices, it gives us this control, this illusion of control over other people's judgment. And it makes sense because we're the kind of people who don't like to be judged, but it's not a sustainable solution. It's not sustainable because conversations are what make us human. Conversations increase our capacity to feel for one another, to empathize with one another. I think about the conversations I had just this last weekend at the Lutheran Layman's League conference that we had here at the church Friday, Saturday. One of my conversations brought me into the world of a homeschooling mother whose work with her children fills her with vibrant joy. Another one of my conversations brought me into the world of a young widow who mourns and grieves for her husband by listening to audio recordings of his voice. 
Some of my conversations brought me into the, the inner workings of enriching uranium for nuclear power and barge operations at the confluence of the rivers here and the details of how the, the, the Beach Boys were the first band to offer up their tracks of their songs for karaoke. My conversations partners, they transported me out to sea with the Navy and the Pacific Ocean and into the rivers and mountains and glaciers of Alaska and then all the way back here to Paducah to the seawall and the mural and the flood of 1937. Conversations open us up to a world much bigger than ourselves. They help us see the world in a new way. Conversations are where we learn to love and be loved, where we practice being forgiven and forgiving others. Judgment's just a small part of it. And so when Jesus the Lord, our shepherd, engages us with conversation, it involves some judgment. But it's not because Jesus is pro-judgment. It's because he's pro-conversation. Think about some of the, the most powerful deep conversations you've had with a, a trusted friend, with a confidant. I'm willing to bet that there, that there have been times you've walked away from that conversation feeling a little guilty, feeling ashamed even, because that interaction with that person exposed you to something about yourself. You saw how you missed the mark, how you made a mess of things, how you crossed the line in some way. That happens when we talk with people. We see ourselves in ways that we didn't necessarily want to see ourselves. That's a real part of conversation. But that's not the only thing Jesus is doing when he engages us in his talk, in his word. There's a great example of this right after Jesus was risen from the dead. You probably remember the story from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is engaging two of his followers in a conversation, but they don't know it's him. And there is a moment of judgment. He calls them foolish. And they were being foolish. They weren't believing the promises of God. There's a moment of judgment, but that's not all there is. It's just like that's not all a shepherd does. He doesn't just judge the sheep. He walks with them. He talks with them. He listens to them. Jesus is so devoted to conversation that he even carried this conversation to the cross with his father where he pleaded for forgiveness for those who were crucifying. For, for you and I, he pleaded for forgiveness. He's so devoted to conversation that not even death, not even judgment can keep him from it. So devoted that he would rise from the dead to invite you and I into this dialogue, this ever-widening conversation. Listen to how it goes. Just listen to the story again. It's right at the end of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Remember, it says that uh, Jesus was, or two, two of the followers of Jesus were, were walking along the road to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And it happened, while they were conversing with one another and walking along, Jesus himself drew near and walked along with them. But their eyes were held back. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. 
And one of them named Cleopas said to him, you're the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to him, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and, and all the people and, and how our chief priests and rulers condemned him to death and crucified him. And, and, and we were hoping that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's now three days since these things happened and, and some of the women from our group amazed us. After they went to his tomb early in the morning and did not find his body there, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of of angels, angels who said that he is alive. And some of those from our group went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer and to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he thoroughly explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they came to the village where they were walking, and Jesus acted as though he were going to keep on walking, and they urged him, please stay with us, stay with us, because the day is far gone, and it's now evening. And so he went into the house and stayed with them and reclined at the table. And it happened while he took the bread and broke it, and as he was giving it to them, their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they started to say to one another, was not our heart burning within us as he talked with us on the road and and as he opened our minds to the scriptures? And rising up in that very hour, they returned to Jerusalem, seven miles to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 apostles and the others, and they told the two, the Lord is really risen. And he appeared to Simon, and the two told them about how he had revealed himself to them on the way and in the breaking of the bread. And while they were conversing and discussing these things, Jesus himself came and stood among them. And he says to them, peace be with you. And they were terrified, thinking that they were seeing a spirit. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it's me. Touch me and see. Because a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him some broiled fish. And he took it. And he ate it. And then he said to them, This is what I was saying to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law and the prophets had to be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, So it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, 
would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, turning back to God for the forgiveness of sins, would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning here at Jerusalem. You all are witnesses of these things. And look, I am going to send the promise of my Father upon you. And so stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's where Luke wraps up his gospel. With the power of the Holy Spirit, spills into the book of Acts, into a global mission that has spread all around the world over the last 60 generations and has swept you and I up into this power and this mission. But remember where it started. It started with a conversation. There was a moment of judgment. And then good news. When Jesus displaced our fear of judgment so that he could talk with us. So that we would invite him into our homes. There's a story about a pastor who went to go visit one of the members of his congregation. It was an elderly woman named Janice. Pastor stands up on the porch and, and knocks on the door, but no answer. Now he can see that the light is on and her car's in the driveway, so he knows that she's in the house, and so knocks again, no answer. So he decided to leave her a note, put the note on the door and went away. A few hours later, Janice finds the note and reads it. It says, Dear Janice, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, love pastor. She wondered, what does is, what is Revelation 3, verse 20 say? So she looked it up, and it's, it's the words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. A few days later, pastor finds a, a note on his desk in his office. It's from Janice. He opens it up and it says, Dear pastor, Genesis 3.10, love Janice. Pastor's wondering, what does Genesis 3.10 say? So he looks it up. It's the words of Adam. I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid, and I hid myself because I was naked. <laughs> Ever since the Garden of Eden, when our first parents tried to grab the remote control, it's been uncomfortable for us to be in the presence of God. And so he sent Jesus, our shepherd, not just to judge us, but to seek us and save us and bring us into an ever-widening conversation that just keeps getting better and better and better. Amen? In the name of Jesus, amen.